I'm Mark Middleton with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Bolder, the program that shows you that it is possible to make some small changes in your life that will result in big rewards and help you be the person you've always wanted to become. In the next hour, we will find out how you can follow your passion and actually profit from it as you head towards retirement, and we'll hear the inspiring story of an accident victim who has battled all the way back to make the U.S. team at the Para Triathlon World Championship. Wow, good stuff. We're also going to meet one of the founding members of the 60s San Fran psychedelic band Quicksilver Messenger Service. The guy is still rocking, folks. And later, he went to Jefferson Starship, still on tour today. And then you'll have to take off your shoes because we're going barefooting with the world's oldest female competitive skier. All stories that are going to make you think, hey, maybe I can do anything. And that's what we call Growing Boulder. How hard did the recession kick you in the bank account? Did your retirement nest egg shrink to almost nothing? Wait, maybe it doesn't matter as much as you think. You're about to hear how much retirement living has less to do with your investments and much more to do with trimming the fat from your expenses. Yeah, an interesting thought. Uh, This guy has just written a new book that is offering a fresh perspective on financial advice. In fact, it's really not just about retirement. It's how to live a sustainable lifestyle at any age, not to restrict you, but to give you the freedom to do the things that you really want to do. The book is called How to Retire the Cheapskate Way, the Ultimate Cheapskate's Guide to a Better, Earlier, Happy Retirement. Welcome back, the Ultimate Cheapskate for some more cheap talk, our buddy Jeff Yeager. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back on your show. Yeah, yeah you know what? Uh, and, and as always, thanks for calling me on your dime. <laughs> yeah, the, the price is right. Your fee is perfect. Yeah. Call me cheap. Just never call me collect. You know how I am. You, you know, you really are at the forefront of what a lot of people are starting to say now, that, you know, one of the one of the quickest ways to be happy is to have less. And, you know, we were all raised in this consumer culture where the more we had, the happier we thought we would be. But now, you know, getting rid of stuff is really a, a, a pretty quick path to happiness, huh? Yeah. One of the quotes from the book is, you know, we're not about trying to have the best of everything. We make the the uh, best of everything we have. And, uh, you know, this was an interesting idea to explore in the context of retirement, because if there's ever a time in your life when you're going to think about what's really important and, you know, what do you really want out of life, it's those retirement years. But yet you go to any financial expert in the country, anywhere, tell them you want to put together a plan for your retirement. Every minute of that meeting, Jeff, is going to revolve around, well, let's look at your investments. Investing, yeah. And that's a, that's one of the novel things about my, my book. Well, I've written four of them. And they, none of them are about how to get rich. All of them are about, if you will, how to get happy, perhaps, with what you already have. So I don't give any adv- investing advice at all. In the book, my basic argument is based on on all of these thousands of cheapskates I know, is that it may be able to t- you may be able to retire on much less than you think if you get your lifestyle priorities uh, straight and your financial priorities straight. And I don't encourage people to undersave, uh, but there's a lot of evidence out there that actually, because of financial advisors, many people tend to oversave for retirement. You are definitely the right guy at the right time uh, with the right message because, as we know, you know, not only are we going to live longer after we retire if we take care of ourselves, and Bill and I are certainly encouraging everybody to do that, uh, we're going to live more active lives. So, uh, you know, something's got to give, and, and changing your lifestyle or simple sizing, at, as you call it, is critical. What is simple sizing? It's like downsizing, but it's based on this very fundamental principle that whenever you, in my experience, whenever you simplify your life, it tends to do two things. It tends to make you spend a lot less money, and here's the best part, it tends to make us happier. You know, we've become such a materialistic society, per capita consumption has grown 1% for each of the past 50 years. We're consuming so much more, we're spending so much more, but there's no scientific evidence at all that we're any happier. In fact, most of the evidence says we're less happy. You know, before. So mine is not a philosophy about deprivation and sacrifice. It's about uh, uh, sitting down and deciding, you know, what's really important in life. The, the premise of the book is you can lead any kind of lifestyle you want in retirement, and you can spend more on it or you can spend less. And, and so I'm not saying this is the kind of lifestyle you should have. 
but I'm just showing you how, so how through some basic principles you can get whatever you want, and, and it might not cost as much as you think. And you know what the deal is, Jeff, because you've done enough lectures. I'm sure you look out over the crowd and everyone's nodding their head because we get it, we get it. But then you start to think about it and, ooh, am I going to give up that new smartphone with the unlimited data or the thousand cable TV channels with the sports package and Netflix? Or, ooh, how about that car lease I got a great deal and trading up every couple of years? How do we break out of the cycle of doing that? Yeah, it's really, uh, you know, it's a hard thing to do because we're bombarded by so many advertisements saying that if you buy all that stuff, you're somehow going to be happier. But I think you really need to sit down and take stock of, you know, part of it is taking stock of what you already have, and that gets to this idea of simple sizing. You know, if it's not something you've used recently, you really don't need it. If you practice what I call spending procrastination, put off till tomorrow what you're tempted to buy today, uh, you'll find most of the time you'll never buy that, and you'll be just as happier, happier. Um that that you didn't. So I, I always offer a lot of practical advice for, you know, to begin with just reigning in impulse and discretionary spending. The fact is Americans regret about 80% of the discretionary items they buy. And, and that's not to say they totally regret them. They may still buy some of them. We all know that feeling of, uh, of buyer's remorse. And I think as people near retirement, and this book is not, this book is for people of any age. It's, uh, you know, uh, the earlier you adopt the advice, the better. But as you near those retirement ages, I think you really start to think, gosh, what is important, what isn't important. Um, one of the interesting things in the book was this, and it's borne out by U.S. Census data, is that people tend to spend significantly less the older they grow, with the exception of health care. So as I say in the book, I think that aging causes IF, which, of course, guys, is increased frugality. <laughs> And, you know, you you certainly have touched upon a basic point. It seems like the less stuff we have, the more we appreciate it. I mean, I, I can remember when I was thrill, thrilled with a rock and a stick. And, uh, you know, you, you, you've got so much stuff now that uh, it does become a burden even to keep track of it. And you've come up with some principles, Jeff, and I think you've touched on one of them at least, uh, that we can live by that will make a difference in our lives. C- can you Can you share with us a couple of the basic principles that can help us enjoy less? Yeah, I identify sort of 20 overriding principles throughout the book based on these interviews I did with frugal folks. And certainly the big one is live consistently below your means during your working years. Live live within your means always, live below your means whenever you can. And it sounds so simple, but of course very few Americans do it. If you do that, as you get ready, as you approach retirement, you'll notice, one, that you've automatically been able to set aside a lot of savings. And two, you've been really test driving your, your retirement lifestyle and budget. You know, most people only think about a budget at the point of retirement. Uh, and the third thing, the third the great thing you, that that allows you to do if you do it early enough in life is it allows you to, to avoid these high-risk investment schemes that are attempted to build wealth in the 11th hour. You mean those things aren't all above board and totally honest and legit? <laughs> Well, as I say, most most retirement planning books are, as you noted, written about investing, and I would reclassify many of them from nonfiction to fiction. They're a, they're a nice fictional read, but they just didn't work out that way. And and mine should be a comforting, reassuring message because my contention is the spending side of personal finance is at least as important as the investing side. And it's something that we control or choose not to control each and every day. Well, two big ways, Jeff. I guess one is to spend less, obviously. Another maybe is to bring in even a little bit more. Are there ways that retirees can can generate some extra income? Yeah, and I have a chapter in the book because what I found anecdotally was a whole bunch of my cheapskates, once they do retire, they still continue to work at like a little cottage industry that they oftentimes start themselves. I call it being selfishly employed. You know, something that you can just play around with that's not full-time work, that doesn't require a big investment. I give sort of 50 ideas for selfish employment ventures in the book. But oftentimes the model is that these retired cheapskates will try to, through those ventures, earn enough that they can earn up to that maximum amount that they can earn without decreasing their Social Security benefit. And that that varies depending on your status. But in most cases, you can earn at least $10,000 um, and and it won't decrease your benefits. So they're playing around with these ventures, and it's as much to pop to uh, to to fill their time as to populate their bank accounts, and they're having a lot of fun doing it. You know, we got a guy coming up on a, on a future episode who's going to talk to us about the the growing trend of 
uh, of retiring abroad. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, can cheapskates make a good go of retirement in a foreign country? I talk quite a bit about it in the book, although there are entire books written, and not just on that subject, but entire very popular books written about retiring in just one country. I mean, it's it's an up-and-coming trend. But I do, I think, a nice overview of it in my book, uh, saying that it certainly is possible to um, – you know, to live someplace abroad where you can enjoy a standard of living uh, that you couldn't afford here. And I talk uh, even about the prospect of going overseas to have certain medical treatments done, which is a burgeoning field of the travel industry. Um, And even if you're not inclined to leave the United States, the whole notion that I explore in some detail in the book of the cost of living differences in different parts of the country, the pros and cons of living in different parts of the country. In one case of a couple I interviewed, uh, Minneapolis area, thought they wanted to move to Florida, then they decided they had too many friends in Minneapolis. They found that basically by moving to a different part of the same town where they'd always lived, they were able to cash in a house uh, and retire that much earlier because they moved to a more modest place. Hey, Jeff, isn't it kind of interesting for you to look at, I think, when you first started however many books ago, you were the whole, almost always defending the word cheapskate and you know, trying to let people know that it wasn't necessarily a negative thing. And now here you are. We're all anxious to jump in the cheapskate bandwagon with you. Well, and, you know, I write really with a sense of humor, so I, I don't use cheapskate in a pejorative sense. Uh, to me, a cheapskate is just the polar opposite of a conspicuous consumer. You know, call us uh, frugal, call us thrifty. I use the word cheapskate to kind of intrigue people and, and capture their imagination. And then, you know, talk about what I think is the virtuous side of leading a simpler, more frugal lifestyle. It's not about sacrifice and deprivation at all. I mean, I would argue that the type of cheapskate I'm talking about is actually much happier in their lives, certainly than people who are deeply in debt having purchased stuff, which now is an albatross. Great stuff, Jeff. Now, you tell me you're not going to just hang up the phone, run out and get in your limo, fly to your Learjet, and then head across the country to your... Uh... <laughs> No, I, I I really walk the walk. I mean, anybody that anybody that knows me knows that I believe in this stuff deeply and and live it personally. And and I don't for a minute. I talk truthfully in, in my books, particularly my earlier books, about how much money I have, which isn't. I'm not rich by some standards, but I'm not poor. I have a nice enough house, and I'm willing to talk about and share all that uh, personal information, not to be preachy, but to to say, gee. You know, you don't need to to dumpster dive and live in a, uh, you know, wherever to lead this kind of lifestyle that you can actually pick and choose. And it's deciding what's important in life and skipping the rest. It's how to retire the cheapskate way. It'll make you think about things a little differently. His name is Jeff Yeager. Find out more at ultimatecheapskate.com. Up next, nutritionist Susan Mitchell with three superfoods you'll want to add to your diet. But first, we'll meet the oldest competitive barefoot skier in the country. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio. Preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit growingboulder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. You're listening to Growing Boulder Radio. I'm Bill Marks alongside and whoever it was that started that stereotype. That the older you get, the less you want to do in life. Never met Judy Myers. Let me tell you about this gal. She's in her mid-60s now, and she's never been more active. But that's nothing new for her, really. She's always done stuff, not necessarily because she thought she was staying in shape or getting healthy. Judy has stayed active just because it's fun. True story, Bill. However, one thing that she never tried at all was anything that had to do with the water. She's always been afraid of it. That was before a friend dared her to try to barefoot water ski, of all things. So at the age of 53, she swallowed her fear and eventually swallowed a lot of lake water. But she did give it a try for the very first time. And now we could tell you how much she liked it, or we could just tell you that now at the age of 68, She is not only a champion, she's the oldest competitive female barefoot skier in the country. 
I'm just trying to get a different song here. Judy Myers has always moved to a beat all her own. No one in her Alpine, California neighborhood even bats an eye when they see her roller dance down the street. How's that? She's always looking for different ways to stay active, from snowmobiling to parasailing. So when some friends dared her to try to barefoot water ski, she was terrified, but she was willing to try at least once. I said, you know, girls, you got one chance with me, because at this time I'm 53, I'm thinking, you know, I don't need to be doing this. So I went out there, I put my feet on the water, and it was just like the world opened up. It was the most awesome feeling in the world to be walking on water. That first time was 15 years ago. Today, she's the oldest female competitive water skier in the country, and that's even hard for her to believe. Even though my years are 68, I don't consider myself 68. I don't feel 68. Um, I don't like to, to think of myself as 68 because it's, it's like old and, and I don't feel old. You see, if she were old, she certainly wouldn't be able to do anything like this. I mean, barefooting on one foot? And sometimes she does get so tired she needs to lay down for a moment, hook her foot in the handle and just relax. Moves that amaze even hardcore skiers. Oh, man. That's awesome. <laughs> it's only half of what she can do. You do backwards, toe hold, with the foot in the handle, their hands. You see, over the past few years, Judy has not only become an accomplished competitor, she's also become a role model, an inspiration. When people that haven't met me, they truly expect somebody a little different than what they see, um, because I, I tend to try to keep myself in good shape and, and looking halfway decent, <laughs> not, not as old as I am. So um, I think they're taken a little bit aback when they find out my age. In fact, now she spends quite a bit of time inspiring others by teaching at the World Barefoot Center, run by one of the most famous barefooters of all, Keith St. Ange. He insists that she gets through to people in a way that no one else can. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. Um... Every time somebody comes to the ski school and they go, well, I, I can't learn that trick, Keith, because I'm too old. And if Judy hears them say that, the 60-year-old lady, Judy Myers, that we call the old lady, if she hears them say that, they're done. They, I mean, she lets them have it. What do you think? You're not too old. Look at me. I do it. And they go, how old are you? And 68, she says. And they go, okay, tail between the legs. Okay, I guess I can do it. <laughs> One of those people is Karen Putz, a woman who'd all but given up on barefooting after an accident left her completely deaf. 20 years later, she saw a story about Judy on the network news and was so inspired she sought Judy out. That's what you want, huh? That's what you want to learn. <laughs> yeah. Someday. Now, thanks to Judy, Karen is back on her bare feet, loving life, and eternally grateful to Judy simply for providing the example. That brings tears to my eyes. Why? Because to, to help somebody like that or to inspire somebody like that um, and to get them back to, to their passion and to, to get them to see they can do it again, I think that's, that's, pretty, that's a real awe moment. She says next to being up on the water, that is the greatest feeling in the world. As a teacher, I changed a lot of lives, but this was one of the biggest, one of the absolute biggest. You gave her her world back. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> it's not lost on Judy that she never would have had this life if she hadn't been willing to try something crazy, something new. It just makes you realize that, you know what, life is too short to put up barriers. It's just too short. And, and you put up your own roadblocks. You put up your own barriers. You're the one that says, I can't do it. When it, you should and saying, I can do it and I'm going to try. The only question is, how long does she want to do this? Till I die. <laughs> I truly believe that. I'm going to be Banana Judy. <laughs> Referring, of course, to the one and only Banana George, the greatest barefoot legend of all time, who, on Growing Boulder got back up on those bare feet one last time at the age of 94. 
so we'll give the last word to Banana for them both when we asked how long he hoped to carry on. <laughs> Forever! <laughs> Forever would be just fine with Judy. Wow, Judy Myers, proof of what can actually happen when you take a chance, folks. It opened up a whole new world and a life for her. And you can find her almost any time at the Barefoot uh, Water Ski Center in Winter Haven, Florida, where they love to take people who have never tried before and give them their first taste of barefooting. And they are, Mark, along with Judy, the best teachers in the world. Check them out at worldbarefootcenter.com. When it comes to your daily habits, do you take vitamins? Well, did you know the supplement industry has exploded into a billion-dollar business? But we're going to save you a few bucks right now by telling you how to get everything you need just by adding a few important items while you eat. Let's find out more from registered dietitian and nutritionist, Dr. Susan Mitchell. Thanks, Bill. Hi, 3D friends. Before you pick up that supplement bottle, you might be surprised to hear that nutrient-packed foods can power up your defenses naturally. Now, I think about food in two ways. First, I love to eat, so the food has to be good or I'm not wasting my calories. How about you? Then I see food as an opportunity, a chance to improve my health with every meal or snack. Do you think of food that way? The more we learn about food, the more powerful we find out that it is. Isn't it amazing how little we actually know? So how do we eat healthy? And I guess this is a $64,000 question. And at the same time, like the foods that are good for us. Well, there's so many ways. So let's try these three health-boosting foods. Barley is an ancient grain that packs plenty of insoluble fiber, which can lower cholesterol and help protect against cancer cancer. One of my favorite ways to use barley is to add it to split pea soup. Quick cooking and gives even more texture to the soup. Next, pomegranates. Known for their antioxidant content, the arils, the seeds with that bright red fleshy fruit attached, they're beautiful in sauces and just tossed in a spinach salad. A nice source of potassium, pomegranates can help lower blood pressure. And quinoa, it's a gluten-free grain that's actually a seed and a source of magnesium magnesium, which may help reduce headaches and regulate blood sugar. Quinoa is a great way to add protein to a meal. If you're wondering how to cook it, check out Cooking with Quinoa for Dummies, written by Cheryl Forberg, dietitian for TV's The Biggest Loser, for a wide selection of recipes. Cooking, it's the easy part. Pronouncing it is, is, (laughs) or spelling it is even tougher. She is registered dietitian and nutrition expert, Dr. Susan Mitchell. to blow their minds at the Fillmore with Quicksilver Messenger service in the 60s. Know what? He's still touring and rocking out at 75. David Freiberg is next. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by... The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter. Delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. This is Growing Boulder Radio. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton. And you hear that? That's a live performance by the group Quicksilver Messenger Service, and it was recorded back in 1969. Take a listen. I don't know about you guys, I love Quicksilver Messenger. Considered maybe to be the greatest example of San Francisco psychedelic music from one of the most magical times in the history of rock music. Amazing how a tune like that, Bill, can take you right back. Oh, I uh, love it. You don't hear that sound anymore. No, it, it is It just great. grabs you. Uh, in fact, folks, there were two bands that really captured the spirit and the sound of that era, Quicksilver and, of course, also Jefferson Airplane slash Starship. And our next guest was in both of those bands. You want to hear something else incredible? While many from back then have passed 
on or turned on to other things, he is still performing, still touring, and still an integral part of Jefferson Starship. We are grateful and excited to have a chance to say hello to David Freiberg. Hey, David, how are you? I'm fine, Bill and Mark. How are you guys doing? Man, it is great to have you with us. And I guess the question I'd like to ask right off the top is, back in the 60s, did you ever, in your wildest dreams, and I'm certain there were some wild ones back there, <laughs> did you ever think that we at the age... had some pretty wild dreams. <laughs> <laughs> but did you ever think that at the age of 75, you'd still be touring the country, getting ready to head to Italy and Germany and playing gigs? No, but... I couldn't imagine reaching the age of 40, <laughs> the truth. <laughs> but yeah, no, but as I'm here, I can't see anything else to do. You know, David, you, we, we lost so many greats from that era. You lost so many personal friends. You were right there for everything. How did you make it through yourself? A lot of people went way too early, it seemed. I'm not trying to figure out how I managed to take care of myself, but... Somewhere around the age of 40, I, I decided to get in shape, and I started running. So so by the time I was 40, I was in the best shape of my life. <laughs> and I think that's the only reason I'm still around now. And, and obviously, you know, you were hooked into to, to playing, composing, performing, you know, doing the whole thing when you were younger. Uh, does it still have its hooks in you? I mean, do, are you excited about Are you as passionate about uh, what you do today as you, uh, as you were five decades ago? You know, believe it or not— when I'm at home and I've been there, say I've been there for a month, I really get, I really can't wait to get back out and play for people again. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, there's nothing like communicating with a bunch of really good musicians on the stage that are your friends and and um, having a, have, I mean, it's so much fun. I can't, I, I can't, I can't explain it. And, and David, we were watching some video of you. There's some great stuff, recent stuff of you at 75 up there on stage. And, man, it still sounds so good. Now, that's you singing, David. That is great stuff. I mean, do you still go back in the I zone? Do you... it. <laughs> oh, it's singing Have Another Hit. Um, oh, okay, okay. Uh, little Quicksilver song, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, Cantner's with you, and he just had his 72nd birthday, and you guys... Yeah, that young whippersnapper. You guys, man, when you're on stage, the, you're, the, the age is not even evident. The smiles are there, except, of course, on Cantner. And, and I, I got to... Th- <laughs> Let me throw this at you because we, Mark and I were talking about this uh, before we talked to you. How how Grace Slick, who, who I've met and love, uh, said that uh oh, nobody your age should be up there on the stage ever. You know, is that tongue in cheek? Well, everyone's or? entitled to their opinion. And it, it, have you ever had like a debate with her about that, or is she tongue in no, cheek? No, no, no. I don't. I, I guess I'm lucky to be a man because there seems something about a, a beautiful woman. Th- tends to think that that's all that they have going, you know, because Grace was such a beautiful young young lady, and she's a beautiful woman now, so I don't quite understand it. I mean, she thinks people look dumb doing it. I don't know. Does she still think the stones shouldn't go out? They're still doing it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I, can't, I can't imagine doing anything else, and I can't imagine stopping. I mean, as long as I'm having fun, who's going to – how can you stop? Yeah, amen, and, and, and what a... And it must not have been fun for her when she stopped. So, yeah. if it, And I understand, because, I, I mean, I stopped for 20 years in 1985 through 2005. I stopped going on the road. It wasn't fun being in a band when I left. It yeah. wasn't what I was doing, you know. It wasn't what I, what I did, you know. David, you're talking about the time when Starship got real poppy, and it just wasn't... It got the... real poppy, and, and I think all the songs were being written by outside writers and... It was just getting the next top ten hit or something. That's what it felt like to me. And that isn't what I did. I mean, I just like to play organic music with whoever's in the band. Well, you know, we talk to a lot of people on this program that are trying to find a way to reconnect with the passions of their youth. So, you know, keep it up, man. Do do your thing. Uh, I read once that you actually met Janis Joplin even before the San Francisco scene. What was she like back then? <laughs> she was just a little lost girl. <laughs> <laughs> The uh, first time I ran into her, I, I, I had been deported from Mexico. Now, I won't even, we don't need to go into that. It's a long, <laughs> long story. 
But I, I ended up in Austin, and uh, we were folk singers, and we ended up at the student union at the University of Texas at the Folk Music Society, and there was this girl with an auto harp singing Irish ballads, and it was Janice, and she had this beautiful voice. It wasn't yet the screaming blues thing, you know, and then we exchanged addresses with her and this guy named Chet Helms who was there also. And he ended up starting the Avalon Ballroom in San Francisco, and they they both came out, and I think they were sleeping on my floor for the first week or so they, they showed up. And, and, yeah, that's when you were in the hate. You know, Cincinnati kid moves to the hate, and you're there from the beginning, and, you know, you were there right. to, to <laughs> you were also there to quickly see it start to spiral down. Was was that as magical as, as we the media's made it out to be, David, and is there any way we'll ever have it? There anything? was a couple of weeks in the, during, this, during the uh, summer of love, or actually bef- the, the summer before the, the official summer of love was really nice. But as soon as it became a big thing and you were on the Time magazine, it had to fall apart because there were just too many people just showing up to to look for something that wasn't there anymore, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> How did you guys miss out on Woodstock? Our, our uh, Gary Duncan, the uh, the uh, one of the, the two guitar players in Quicksilver, had left the band, and we were in the middle of recording a, an album without him, and we weren't touring, and so that's, I mean, nobody knew Woodstock was going to be Woodstock until it was, you know. <laughs> it was just another gig until all of a sudden, whoa, look at this. Who thought half a million people would show up? Yeah, and you did Monterey, and you said that was probably the greatest gig you ever did. Oh, Monterey was probably the most enjoyable thing. I mean, where else you can see Otis Redding and, and Jimi Hendrix and The Who and Jefferson Airplane and Crosby, <laughs> or The Birds, and... Uh, we got about a minute to go here. I want to put you on the spot and ask you the big okay. question. Out of all that you've been through and all that you've seen, what can we learn, David, from, from, from your life? Never give up. It, it's your dream. Do it. <laughs> uh, is, is that too simple? <laughs> no, it, it is what it is. We say that all the time, too, and it's great to it hear. It is what it is. I mean, you are yourself. and I mean, I'm a Buddhist, so... I try to see the Buddha in everything or everywhere I look because I know it is there, you know. So I am the Buddha, and you are the Buddha, too. He's the wonderful and talented David Freiberg. Thanks for the visit, David. Up next, a devastating car accident and a serious brain injury had doctors wondering if he'd even survive. Wait till you hear how he defied the odds. This is Growing Boulder. Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. My guard stood hard when abstract threats to noble, to neglect. This is Growing Boulder Radio. Mark and Bill with you. And I'm telling you, you don't need us to tell you that no matter who you are, what you look like, how much money you do or you don't have in your life, you are going to face obstacles. We all do. But what makes us different and what defines us is how we face those obstacles. Amen, Brother Bill. Hopefully you will never have to deal with anything that's even close to what our next guest went through. But his spirit, his courage, and his attitude sure will help the rest of us get through whatever challenges we're destined to face. But for Sean Van Garina, everything changed in an instant back in 2008 after a horrendous car accident. Sean suffered a traumatic brain injury, a broken neck, and he had multiple strokes. But his recovery has been nothing short of miraculous. Not only is he able to walk again, listen to this, folks, he just made the U.S. World Paratriathlon Championship team. Sean, congratulations. Way to go. Hi, guys. Thank you very much. Man, what an accomplishment. Uh, And, you know, your story is fascinating, and it seems that whenever you tell it, one of the very first things you say is how lucky you are. Do you really believe that? I, I've been very blessed, um, and I certainly do consider myself a very lucky individual. I tell people all the time, I'm 
probably one of the luckiest people you'd ever meet. And they look at you like, lucky? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't see you wearing green. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I've, I've been very fortunate and, uh, you know, I've been blessed with an opportunity to do some pretty amazing things and, and uh, opportunities that a lot of people did not expect me to have. So oh, it's, it's well, that's a good been place. An interesting and great journey. See, that, that's a good place to start here, Sean. So explain to us what your limitations are, what you can do, and, and what you can't do. Uh, well, physically, I have some a multitude of different challenges. Um, but uh, from physically, uh, strength, conditioning, um, just overall endurance ability, uh, ability to navigate stairs or... or uh, to really do a lot of things that most people just kind of take for granted because you just grow up. You grow up learning how to walk, and and then you learn how to run, and and then you go on from there. And for me, um, I'm blessed because I'm able to do those things, but at the same time, I have to uh, I have to think about them constantly. Um, I had a traumatic brain injury. There are some neurological challenges there and uh, had a spinal cord injury. So I have some challenges from that. And then from the stroke, I've got some some muscle deficiencies and, and uh, some of them that just don't function anymore. You know, Bill, did you see what he did? I know you did. You're a sharp guy. You asked Sean what his... Uh, limitations were he didn't he didn't say any limitations he's called them challenges yeah. and, and before that he said that uh, he considers himself lucky so I think we've we've learned folks uh, you know that attitude the power of attitude in, in what it can do for you and, and Sean you had your accident which we described uh, uh, at the age of 37 certainly not an easy time to have to learn an entirely new way of life D- did you go through a stage when you when you said why me uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's certainly a time for that. Um, you know, first, uh, it was pretty traumatic. I was self-employed and, um, 37 year old single father and, um, you know, pretty independent person and, uh, was in pretty decent shape, uh, physically and has been for my entire life. And, uh, then I had to require 24-hour care. And, you know, my parents had to move in with me and take care of me, and um, that that took a lot. Um, our independence is something that is that makes really who we are. And when you lose your independence, you you lose yourself. And I think that um, you know the doctor saying you know get used to get used to a wheelchair is one thing, but the inability to do what you want, when you want, to be able to walk or or anything that we just do on a daily basis, to lose that ability, that's that's devastating. Talking to uh, Sean Van Garina here, and what a lesson we're learning, because after hearing him say what he just said, now, Sean, you're looking forward to maybe your biggest challenge yet, Racing as a member of the U.S. national team at the Paratriathlon Sprint World Championships in New Zealand. What what an awesome victory there for you just to go. It was, uh, it was a pretty great opportunity, um, you know, to, to first of all, to, to be able to be around the, the athletes that I was. Um, there are a lot of amazing people out there with incredible stories. And um, then to be able to represent our country. Uh, I can't express to you what an honor that is. Um, and to be competing at that level is, is really a gift um, to get to know some of the people that I've, I've had an opportunity to meet is, has been one of the greatest gifts of my life. And, and, you know, Sean, if we would have put a period there, it would have been enough. But, no, you have to go a step further and try to pay it forward by starting an organization called LieDownOrStandUp.org. Tell us about that. Uh, Lie Down or Stand Up kind of started off as my motto for life. Um, and, you know, partly because of the fact that I, I'm still I'm classified as an ambulating quadriplegic. Um, and I refuse to 
to continue to lie down in bed, which unfortunately is, without getting on my political soapbox, is kind of what our, quote, system encourages people with disabilities to do, is to stay at home. And um, for people that try to fight and stand up, um, there there are more challenges for them. Um, but it, it has then evolved um, into an advocacy organization and right now we're putting our board together to to get a 501c3 um, because one of the things that I identified was really important for me not only physically but cognitively mentally um, was health and wellness overall health and wellness um, the ability to go and go to the YMCA or, or you know go for a walk and uh, the ability to um, to start to get some independence back. So one of the things that we're doing now is we're putting together physical therapists, occupational therapists, PTs, trainers, coaches that are willing to donate some of their time so that we can offer health and wellness programs to people with disabilities at no cost. It's liedownorstandup.org. Great conversation with Sean Van Garina. Thanks, Sean. Coming up, some insight into vaccines and viruses from the University of Central Florida College of Medicine that will have you growing bolder. Support for Growing Bolder provided by the UCF College of Medicine, where physicians, scientists, and teachers are discovering innovative solutions for today's medical challenges and bringing them to you. Learn more about the college's physician practice at ucfhealth.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine, now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingbolder.com slash subscribe. This is Growing Boulder. I'm Bill Schaefer along with Mark Middleton and something that's in the news constantly these days and sometimes controversially are vaccines and viruses. You notice how some people swear by vaccines but others are very leery of them. But what about viruses too? Are they always bad? Well, we've got one of the world's leading experts to help us understand it all. This guy has a PhD in biochemistry, was an American cancer fellow at Northwestern, the founding director of the Vaccine Center at Wake Forest, and now he's director of the Burnett School of Biomedical Sciences and professor of medicine at the University of Central Florida College of Medicine. Let's welcome Dr. Griffin Parks. Hey, Doc, how are you today? I'm fine. I'm happy to be here. Well, you know, this is a very timely topic, and let's get right with it, starting with vaccines if we can. What part have vaccines played in eradicating diseases like polio and smallpox? Well, vaccines were essential for eradicating smallpox. In fact, now there is no more smallpox on the face of the earth, thanks to lots of very, very hard work by scientists and and health health professionals that got out and vaccinated everyone against smallpox. Polio virus, we are right on the fringe of eradicating polio virus also from the human population. And there are just a few small holdouts where polio virus still exists. And if vaccine workers can get into those areas and vaccinate, we hopefully in the, in the next five years or 10 years, we could also eradicate polio virus from, from the face of the earth. So that would be two major human pathogens that vaccines would have the potential to eradicate. You know, and that is incredible, too, when, especially when you consider from our point of view, somebody sticks something in our arm and boom, there we go. What exactly is the mechanics of a vaccine? How do they work? Well, there's a couple of ways that vaccines work in terms of virus vaccines. One way that you make the the virus vaccines is you grow virus in the lab, you break it up using detergents or other ways of breaking it up so it's no longer infectious, and then you use that to inject into someone's arm. And what your body does is it sees these little tiny pieces of the virus that 
are no longer infectious, but those same little pieces get recognized when you're exposed to an infectious virus. That's one way. A second way, and that's the way that um, the smallpox vaccine was, was developed, is that we grow the virus in lab so it loses its ability to cause disease. And we call that an attenuated virus. So the virus becomes infectious but it can't cause the disease that it used to cause because it's mutated. And those are the most powerful vaccines because they get into you, they do a little bit of replication, and your body recognizes them and mounts a very strong immune response so that when the pathogen comes around, you're armed and ready to defeat that virus. You know, a fascinating conversation, folks, with Dr. Griffin Parks, who is one of the world's leading experts on vaccines and viruses. And and you mentioned the attenuated vaccines. Uh, a lot of people are afraid of those. Should we fear vaccines in any way? Well, I, I think that like anything that you put in your body, be it uh, lettuce, be it the beer you're going to drink tonight, everything you put in your body, you should be aware of what it is. And what are the consequences of it? But by and large, viral vaccines are incredibly safe. There have been many, many studies, and we continue to do studies to, to see how safe virus, virus vaccines like the, the measles vaccine and poliovirus vaccine, how safe are they and are there repercussions from those types of vaccines? There are other vaccines which we haven't been using as much and for as long as things like measles, mumps, and rubella. Some of those are newer vaccines, and we, we don't completely understand all the connections that there might be with those vaccines. But, but if, if these vaccines have gotten through all the tests and approval by FDA, they are fairly safe, and we really don't have to fear the, the repercussions of those. It, it, like everything, it's weighing the pros and cons for everything we do. And I know vaccinations are not just for kids either. We're hearing a lot uh, on all media these days about things like the pneumonia vaccine or shingles and things like that. Uh, which of these vaccines should we consider as adults? Well, I'm not, an, I'm not a, a physician, and so I can't really give medical advice, but I can tell you that there's a lot of concern about all of us as we age, our immune system begins to, begins to weaken, and that's a, natural, that's a natural part of the aging process. And during that, that aging process, when we're losing our, our strength of our immune response, we are more susceptible to a number of infections. And in, in particular, every year, there's a round of influenza virus that comes through. And so for the, for the elderly or the older population, it's absolutely essential that you get a flu vaccine, again, due to the waning immunity that we have. There's another very important part of the aging immune response, and that is shingles. And so shingles is a virus that you get at a very young age. It lays dormant in your neurons for a long period of time. And then when, you, when you're older and you have stress, the shingles virus gets reactivates and causes disease. Now, they have a wonderful vaccine now that can help alleviate some of that reactivation that we call it. And that vaccine is available for older people, and, and, and a lot of physicians are encouraging people to take it. What kind of research are you working on these days, Doc? What, what might we uh, see in the future that you're excited about? Well, in my lab at UCF, we're interested in a lot of the basic biology behind viruses, but more importantly, I think we're moving towards using the viruses that we have in our lab as novel therapies to treat diseases. For example, we are designing our viruses so that they can selectively infect and kill tumor cells, but leave normal cells alone and uninfected. And so we have some tricks that we're sort of designing and engineering these viruses for selective killing of tumor cells. In our last 30 seconds or so, Doc, how, how exciting is it right now to be you and to be in the position you are to see all of these things, the, all of this potential? 
It's amazing. You know, uh, in the 30 years that I've been working on viruses, it's amazing to see how far we've come and how much we know. But importantly, every time you think you've figured out these viruses, they've got some new twist and some new information that they're giving to you. So this is a very exciting time because we're learning so much, but there's so much more we need to learn. Well, he is Dr. Griffin Parks. Uh, Doc, thanks so much for your time. Professor of medicine at the uh, University of Central Florida College of Medicine, where they are doing some incredible research right now, which uh, Bill foretells some great news for all of us in the future. Man, I got to tell you, an hour sure goes by fast when every single guest comes on to talk not just about what they've done, but what they hope to do in the future. And no matter where your life is headed, you've heard you can change careers and still make money doing what you love. You can still rock out at 75 like Jefferson Starship's David Freiberg, and it is possible to overcome any obstacle life can throw at you. Very exciting stuff. In the coming weeks, folks, you will hear from more people who are not just talking the talk, but they're living their lives in ways that defy conventional wisdom. Be sure to check out our Growing Boulder Facebook page. Like us and see what a difference Growing Boulder can make in your life. And there's more. There's Growing Boulder TV and Surviving and Thriving. You know, sometimes in life we all need a little boost to help us take that first step down the road that we've always wanted to go on. Don't wait any longer. Start Growing Boulder. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded live at the studios of WMFE Orlando. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Jackie Carlin, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producer is Katie Widrick. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Remember, when it comes to growing Boulder, it's not about age. It's about attitude. <laughs>